Girlfriends, episode number 357, How to Survive Mass with Little Kids. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I am on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, we are talking about the tried and true topic of surviving mass with little kids. I'm going to share some ideas with you. Also the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's get going. Hey, girlfriend. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to connect with you about this important topic of surviving mass with little kids. This is something that I've heard about from people forever and that I struggled with mightily in my time. And I totally get it. And I'm just hoping to be a little bit of a voice of encouragement, maybe a little bit of inspiration for you here. I'm just going to share some practical ideas. But before we dive into this topic, I just want to make sure you're going over to girlfriendscommunity.com and joining us in community. So this is the community that is in partnership here with the podcast. If you enjoy what we do and what we share here on the podcast, the Girlfriends Community is for you. It's really a way that we can connect and go further with some of the topics we talk about here. We have live video chats. We have daily uh, prayer support. We have conversations about marriage, about homemaking, about parenting, about the good stuff and the tough stuff in life. And really, I have been overjoyed to be making authentic friendships with other Catholic women through this community. It has been such a gift to me. And I'm hoping that you will want to check it out because your presence there would be a gift to all of us. You can check it out over at girlfriendscommunity.com. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned the book club that we have going. If you're interested in being part of a book club, this is just one little part of the Girlfriends Community, one part of what you'll get access to when you join us over at girlfriendscommunity.com. Starting at the end of February, we are going to be launching our very first Girlfriends book club. We're going to be reading the diary of a Country Priest by George Bernanos. I haven't read it before, but I am really looking forward to being a part of this book club where we're going to meet every other week. It's going to be very low key and not a huge commitment. We're just going to read, uh, you know, if you can read a chapter a week, you'll be keeping up with the book club because we're going to do two chapters at a time and meet every other week on Tuesday evening. So I'm hoping you're going to want to be a part of that. But that's just one of the many things that you'll get when you join us over at girlfriendscommunity.com. So I hope you're going to check that out. So this week's topic comes from actually a friend of mine who has happens to be uh, editor of this podcast. <laughs> so she listens to the topics and Elizabeth is great because she'll listen to the topics as she's editing and often send me feedback and ideas or questions. And this time she had a question about bringing kids to mass and she's really been struggling with it. So uh, they've got a bunch of little kids. So let's see, they've got a six-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old and a six-month-old right now. And I'm really just struggling with you know handling the kids and managing their behavior at Mass. And I'll read you part of what Elizabeth wrote to me. She said, we've been trying all sorts of things, bringing a religious book bag as a staple that usually helps. And sometimes we have tried to bring a notepad for each kid to draw or other quiet religious activities, but we are still struggling with the girls talking loudly to each other. And whenever we try to split them up, they get upset. 
I would love to keep going all together as a family, but I'm wondering if going alone with my oldest, since she's preparing for First Communion next year and getting her up front so she can hear and see better would help her. But I know my two-year-old and my four-year-old aren't up for that kind of up-close participation for Mass since I've tried it a few times with them. And it usually ends up with me praying many prayers to my guardian angel and escorting my very loud and wonderfully active children to the back again. Sorry for the saga. We just went through it again this Sunday, and I'm happy to live in this present stage of my life as a mom in the back with running around kids, but I also want to make sure I'm doing everything I can to encourage my kids about the beauty and importance of the Mass. I know you had a lot of littles close in age too, so I was wondering if you have any tips or advice that we can try for next Sunday. So this is from Elizabeth. Thank you, Elizabeth. I appreciate kind of the nudge to revisit this topic because this is one of those evergreen topics about Catholic family life. You know, back when I was publishing Faith and Family magazine, this was something that came up time and again in the pages, also in Catholic Digest, back when I was blogging and social media since then. This is something that everybody struggles with, you know? So first of all, don't feel like you're the only one. And then, you know, every once in a while online or social media, you'll see somebody sharing this, this, you know, this terrible story of feeling very discouraged and unwelcome at mass, whether it was a priest who said something discouraging or like tried to force them into a cry room or some, you know, fellow parishioner who gave them dirty looks or, you know, and that's, that's so sad, but it is a perennial story. So it is kind of an ongoing struggle for young families. And especially if you have a lot of little kids that are close in age or even just one child who, you know, has difficulties sitting still or special needs or all of the above, you know, you can have all of those things going on. So just know you're not alone in it, first of all. But I do have some different ideas where some things that worked for us that I'm just going to share, like, and, and before I share these ideas, I'm not telling anybody the one right way to do this. Every family needs to figure out like what your kids' needs are, what their unique needs are, what your temperament is as a family, and how you're going to approach going to Mass together as a family. But I do want to encourage you to, to just know that you belong there. You belong there. So don't don't let anybody make you feel like you don't or that your kids don't belong there. And it it is totally totally your place to to be going together to mass as a family. It's a beautiful thing. It's a gift to the church that you have these young people and that you're raising them in the faith. So just know that anyway. So some of my tips, the first one that I've shared for years, it sounds like maybe this one won't apply to you, Elizabeth, but might apply to somebody else, is about choosing your seats wisely. It seems like this is already in your mind, Elizabeth, where you're saying maybe you should be up front with your older daughter, but the, the younger ones don't do so great with that. Some some years, we definitely would have one parent sit at the back with the one child who is the problem child. And, and usually the biggest problem would be the one who's like between the ages of one and three, let's say. Like kind of too young to really understand what's going on. Too young really maybe to be expected to sit still for an hour or to use a quiet voice or, you know, understand those kinds of limitations, but also very active. <laughs> so anyway, the the problem child. Some, some of the time we did have just like one of us sit in the back with that one so that you could make a quick exit if needed. But I did find that sitting up front was really helpful. It was helpful in, especially as the kids got older, for them to be able to hear and see, like you're saying with your daughter, Elizabeth, just understanding that, you know, if they're in the back and they're just looking at the backs of people's heads and they're just, you know, hearing a voice over a microphone, 
they're not going to be, you know, even older kids are not going to be really engaged with the mass and really, you know, understanding what's going on or what you're trying to teach them about it, if that's their experience of mass. But, you know, you've got to decide if that's going to work for you. And and maybe splitting up your family it makes sense in that way. Like just one parent with, with a child who's maybe going to be unruly in the back and the other parent up front with the older kids. But I found it was really helpful if we sat in the front row even and they can see what's going on on the altar and you're able to kind of whisper to them about what's going on and kind of teach them about the, the different parts of the mass as it's happening before them, you know, and that's, you know, and, and at the moment of consecration, like telling them what, what's going on or what's about to happen, it's really just a beautiful teaching opportunity. But it's hard to do if they aren't like actually seeing it like right before them. You know, one time I remember it was so funny, my son, Stephen, who is now 21 and away at school, but he was like, I don't know, three maybe at the time. And I remember during the, the moment of consecration, I was like whispering to him about what's going on. I'm like, now father's going to say these words and the the wine is going to become the, the blood of Jesus. And that like, I'm just like whispering this to him. Right. And that really got his attention. And he was like, he, he like sat right up and was like staring at the altar. And then he just said really loudly, where's the blood? <laughs> like, you know, what a boy, right? Blood got his attention. But, you know, I, that stands out to me, though, is like, you know, you can actually talk to them about what's going on and, and, and you can engage with them about it, you know, in a way that's not going to di- be disruptive to the people around you if they're seeing it, if they're seeing it happening. And you, it gives you a chance to, you know, talk to them beforehand and say, now, this is what I was telling you about. This is the moment, right? This is what's happening now. Or now, now is when we, we read, you know, from the Old Testament or now is when we, Father reads the gospel or now is when Father gives us his homily, just kind of walking him through that. It's great to have, especially as kids get just a little bit older, to be able to have them up front like that. And also, another thing to think about when you're choosing your seats is there might be a family that you admire in your parish or, you know, that goes to the same mass you do, and their kids are generally pretty well behaved. Well, you can use that peer pressure to your advantage. Like those are a great example right there for your kids. Maybe you're hesitant to sit near that family because of the contrast in behaviors. But I would encourage you to think about like sitting sitting near those kids because, you know, you can point out to your kids like, look how the other children are behaving. Like they're, they're sitting still and they're listening and they're being respectful. Uh, they're being quiet. Kids really do learn from that, like learn from watching what other kids do, especially if it's like kids who are slightly older than them that they might, you know, look up to. And this for sure was something we experienced in our own family was I found that, you know, outside of that unreasonable age that I already mentioned, the one to three year olds, that um, once our older kids had like learned how to behave at mass, it really wasn't much of a problem having our younger kids do the same because they were looking to their older brothers and sisters for their example of like, how do we behave here? And so once we had kind of wrangled those first two into normal behavior during mass or respectful, quiet behavior during mass, the others kind of just fell into line and not perfectly. Don't mishear me here. Like, you know, that was not perfection, but they did. They did look to their their siblings for like kind of their cues for like, what do we do here? Like how, how do kids behave in this place? And so think about where you're going to sit. You might sit near a family that has older kids your kids would look up to. That can be an example for them. You might decide to sit near the bag so you can make that hasty exit. Or you might decide to sit up front and kind of challenge yourself to kind of face that fear 
and really engage your kids in what's what's going on at the mass. All right, next I have to talk about cry rooms. So if you have a cry room in your parish and you use it and you love it, that is great. If you have a cry room in your parish and you don't ever want to go in there, you don't ever have to go in there. <laughs> Sometimes I have appreciated being in a parish where there was a cry room because it gave me a place where I could go with a kid who was completely out of control and you know, be able to still hear what's going on in the mass. Um, so that that was, you know, it, it's limited in its usefulness, though, because I would find there was one time, I don't remember how many kids we had at the time, maybe three or four, when we kind of made a habit of going to this particular parish where there was a cry room and we would go in there every week, like just start out mass in there. And it was kind of chaos in there. And none of the kids were like kind of being trained to pay attention to the mass. Like they were just there for playtime. There were even like a big box of toys in there. And we ended up thinking, this is not how we want our kids to experience mass. Like we want to, as much as they are able to, we want our kids to be in real mass, sitting in the pews and, you know, being a part of what's going on there. They're not going to learn proper mass behavior if they're sitting in a room where that's not expected and where no other kid is kind of doing that. So I would proceed with caution if you're going to use a cry room. And the fact that the cry room exists, sometimes I have a problem with this because it sometimes makes other people feel like that's where you belong with your kids. Like I remember one time years ago, like sitting in mass in church before mass started and it was, you know, it was quiet in the church and we had like, I don't know, a few little kids with us and they were not making any noise at all. They were just sitting in the pews next to us. And I remember this lady who worked for the church came over to us and told me where the cry room was. And she didn't say it in a way that was like, in case you need it. It was like, you need to go to the cry room with these kids. <laughs> and I didn't like that. I didn't take to that kindly. And we did not go to the cry room with those kids. But, you know, so I think that sometimes the fact that it exists kind of frames it in some people's minds, like that's where children belong. They don't belong in the pews, right? And that is just false. Like they do belong in the pews. And of course, people are going to have different thresholds for what kind of behavior <laughs> to expect from kids. Where you sit can make a difference about that. Maybe you don't want to sit where like, you know, the kind of older lady who gives you looks is if you're afraid your child's going to be a little bit unruly. I have seen some sometimes where a mom is clearly upset with her child, embarrassed and just, you know, really uncomfortable with her child in mass, where I feel like the kid is not really misbehaving very much. You know, sometimes our own perspective is much worse than what's really going on, where, you know, you're much more aware of your child's every little whimper and noise or dropping the the book loudly in the pew. Like, we're much more aware of that when we're being, you know, kind of conscientious parents than the people around us are. It doesn't disturb me at all. Like, I don't, I hardly even notice that kind of thing. But I also have witnessed families where, like, the kid's all out screaming and nobody's doing anything. Uh, that's a much rarer circumstance and I think not so much of a problem. So I think by and large, parents need encouragement that they belong in the pews, that it's okay if kids make some normal noises. Of course, you don't want to be disruptive of the mass and you don't want to be disruptive of the people around you. But you know, expecting perfect silence when you get a large group of human beings together, it's not a reasonable expectation. 
And it's not just kids who make noise. Like sometimes, you know, as older people are getting up and in and out of the pews, like they're clonking things around and some kneelers make a lot of noise going up and going down. And I remember one time in mass, I was um, near an older lady who was just like rummaging through her purse the whole time and like pulling out different things and blowing her nose and like whatever. Like that was a little distracting, but I didn't like think she shouldn't be there. And I don't have an expectation of perfect silence and nobody should have an expectation of perfect silence in the pews at mass. Of course, everybody needs to be respectful and as reasonably quiet as possible, but we're human beings. And when you gather together a whole bunch of human beings, some noises are going to happen. I I remember another time that there were, there was an older man behind me who had like an oxygen tank and it was really noisy. Not for a minute did I think he didn't belong there. But I remember at the time thinking, you know, that's a lot noisier than like the the regular noise that a toddler makes in the pews. So why should families feel like they shouldn't have their kids there? So anyway, that's my kind of word of caution about cry rooms. Just the fact that they exist sometimes gives people the mentality that that's where families belong. And that's not true. So know that like they can be a good place for you to run to if you need to, or if it makes sense on an ongoing basis for your family during this particular season of your family life. Great. You know, if it works, for you, but never feel like that you have to be in there, that you that that's where you belong rather than in the pews at mass. Another little just kind of helpful tip, which is kind of like a no brainer, except maybe you aren't thinking about it as you're rushing out the door, is making sure that like your kids' physical needs are met before you go to mass. So whether it's they need to be fed, like make sure that their low blood sugar isn't making them cranky at mass, make sure they have a snack before you leave. You can also bring snacks. People have different kind of schools of thought about this. But with a kid in that age range of like one to three, that's not so reasonable. Sometimes I would bring a quiet, non-messy snack like cubes of cheese or something like that that they can have during mass. That can sometimes be a good distraction. Sometimes just having a drink, having a, a cup of water or something. But, you know, always being aware that like if you bring like a sippy cup filled with water or something, that does potentially become a projectile. (laughs) And those kinds of things can be very noisy when they're dropped on the floor or into the pew. So kind of thinking about your own sanity ahead of time with regard to what you're going to bring in, I think is is really a, a good idea. And then, so Elizabeth, you mentioned in your question about kind of having a a bag of religious books and that kind of thing. And there is like, there is a concept of that kind of like a mass survival kit. And there are different ones on the market, different things. I know Ascension has a bunch of board books that are great for, for kids at mass that you might consider. But really that concept of having something that you only bring to mass, I think is helpful. So it kind of keeps the novelty up about the items that might be in there. So having some board books about like, you know, the Bible stories or um, there are some like religious themed dolls or saints or there's so much great stuff out there. Again, keeping in mind what might be noisy, what might potentially be a, a distraction to people around you, just making sure those items in there are quiet. But having some sort of a survival kit, I think, makes a lot of sense. And and some parents never want to bring food or drinks or that kind of thing. So having other kinds of items that are going to be a quiet kind of occupation for a child who otherwise isn't, you know, really able to follow what's going on at mass can make a lot of sense and can help, you know, keep up your sanity as well. But it's kind of nice to have them set aside in a bag that you can just grab and go. And you might want to switch out what objects are in there, but not making it so these are everyday items that your your kids have access to all the time. Like maintaining that level of novelty, I think can be a really helpful thing. 
This is something that we've employed kind of on a larger scale to get through the Easter Vigil each year. So the Easter Vigil is like three or four hours long. And um, we decided to to try going even with little kids years ago. And I knew this was going to be a challenge and I knew we'd have to like have kids going in and out and that kind of thing. So we kind of went into it with that kind of frame of mind, like knowing it'll be a challenge. But one thing that I did, and this is not something that we did for regular masses, but I would do this each year when the kids were little before going to the Easter vigil was I would like go into a dollar store and spend like $15 on little items, not necessarily toys, something, you know, simple, like a little magnifying glass or maybe a little rubber man or whatever, you know, the kind of stuff it's junk that they have in dollar stores, spend like 15 to $20. And then just put all those items, which your child has never seen before into a bag, and then kind of periodically strategically be bringing these things out one at a time to occupy your unruly child during a really long mass, I found that was really helpful. And it became a thing where like the kids expected and knew about this thing before the vigil each year. And they would be like, oh, I can't wait to see what's in the, the bag of goodies that, you know, the toddler is going to get because then the, the older kids wouldn't be allowed to play with the things during mass, but they were allowed to play with them afterwards and whatever. So it kind of became kind of part of our, our family tradition of what we did in, in prepping for the Easter vigil was kind of filling a bag of little novelties like that beforehand. So doing something like that uh, on a much smaller scale, maybe for Sunday mass would make sense, but also keep it in mind for those longer masses or special occasions where you know it's going to be a long time, maybe a wedding mass or whatever. So anyway, just throwing that out there. Also, I, I want to encourage you as you're considering your kid's behavior at mass to consider going to a daily mass. Now you might be thinking, you are crazy. There's no way I'm signing up for another mass. Like I'm barely surviving these 60 minutes on Sunday morning. No. So I get it. Like I get it. But it actually can be a really helpful way to practice, to more get your children more accustomed to how to behave in the church in a much easier setting because it's easier, first of all, because daily masses are typically shorter. So it's a, a shorter event that they're kind of getting through. They're generally less crowded. So you can feel like you have more space in the pew. You could sit in the back and feel like you are not really disrupting many people around you. But it's the same place and the same thing is going on. So they're participating in it. And you're kind of making that part of more a part of their everyday and they can grow more accustomed to it. They can be practicing more. I mean, think about that. If you go to one daily mass extra per week, you're like doubling how much time they spend in the church. Not to mention the fact you're going to mass. Like this is a great thing for you and for your kids. Um, that might seem really daunting for you. I'm not pressuring anybody to do this, but consider it that even if it's not like one more per week, but doing it occasionally, kind of making it more a, a normal thing and practicing these behaviors in a, a low pressure, kind of low key way that in, you know, in an event that's going to last not quite so long can be a really good way for you to gain the skills that you need and for your kids to gain the experience they need and to learn more. It can be a great way for you to also kind of walk your kids through the parts of the mass, right? Because a daily mass is, you know, it's shorter and it's it's much more about the essentials, right? So just going through the Eucharistic prayer and you can kind of focus your kids' attention on the essential parts of the mass and in a way that's not quite as pressured as you might feel on a crowded Sunday morning mass sitting there in the pews. So anyway, consider doing that even if you think it's crazy. 
might be a, a good fit for you and your kids right now. All right, the next thought that I want to share with you that can help you to maintain your sanity and make it a more pleasant experience for everybody when you're trying to get through mass with little kids is to encourage their participation to the best of their ability. So that might mean, you know, they can hold the hymnal. And if there are certain hymns that are typically sung during masses at your parish, maybe teach them. Maybe, you know, get get a recording of them and, and practice them together so that your kids can sing along and feel like they're a part of that. Also, maybe at the collection. Like, this is a big thing. Like, our kids used to sometimes, like, fight over who who is going to give money in you know in the basket at the collection but you can like give each kid a coin or or a dollar bill or whatever and then they each are able to do it you know or how are they going to participate at the sign of peace you know you could practice those kinds of things at home you can talk about them ahead of time and just you know as they are able in an age appropriate way to allow them to be a, a part of what's going on there and to feel like they're truly participating in it. I think it's it's really vital that we encourage our kids to feel like, first of all, they belong there and that they are part of the celebration of the mass and not just kind of, you know, these kind of bystanders that are in the way and we're just shushing them and telling them to sit still the entire time. So look for ways that you can do that. And, you know, side note, I just, I remember so vividly, it's so funny, years ago when um, my son Eamon was little, we went to mass and this was like, it was after the 4th of July. And at the 4th of July parade, there were these clowns that were handing out, it was called like funny money. And it was like, you know, these like giant dollar bills and like, it was just like goofy. I don't even know what the point was. Anyway, I was unaware <laughs> that my son, Eamon, had brought one of these fake dollar bills, which was like this big, goofy, like funny money thing uh, to mass. And he had it in his pocket. And I don't know how old he was. He's probably like five. When they were doing the collection, I just saw like the collection basket pass before my eyes in the pew. And Eamon was sitting to my left. And as it passed by, he puts in this giant funny money dollar bill. And I just see the basket get whisked away with the funny money in it. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. You know, and it was so funny because, uh, you know, of course he didn't quite understand what was going on, but he had gotten this like dollar bill thing and he wanted to give it at mass and really cute, right? Like find a way that your your children can participate. Probably not by donating funny money. So find a way <laughs> to like prepare them or or to like give every one of them an opportunity to, you know, be the one that puts the thing in the collection basket. Don't turn it into something that they can fight about because I promise you they will. <laughs> They're in the pew in the most embarrassing way but find a way that everybody can participate without it causing too much of a scene. So anyway, um, encourage their participation, whether it's in the collection or in, in singing or in saying the prayers. You can also practice a, a lot of the responses and encourage them to be saying those responses themselves because that's part of how they're going to learn that they belong there and that this is, this is their worshiping too and that this is, this is part of their prayer as well. All right, and then the final point I want to make is just, be realistic about your expectations. It's not going to be perfect. But, you know, that doesn't mean you don't set expectations and you don't set standards of behavior for sure. Like, I remember one time years ago, this older lady stopped us on our way out of mass and asked me and Dan, like, how did you get your kids to behave so well? Like, they did great. And like, I remember Dan just saying, well, we expect them to behave well. And and that really kind of stuck with me because that wasn't how I would have thought of it, but we did expect them to behave well. And I think maybe a big part of it is that 
that a big part of how our kids behave, and yes, sometimes it's completely out of our control, and even the best of parents are going to have kids who act up. Um, but that doesn't mean you don't expect that proper behavior. Like kids respond to expectations. If you're going in expecting it's going to be a zoo, you're probably going to get a zoo. But if you go in expecting a, a certain standard, a certain level of good behavior and with, with consequences and follow through, if that you don't receive that, then that's what you're going to get for the most part. So, you know, but also being realistic about what your expectations are. And, you know, just very, very practically speaking, uh, it used to be, so when all of our kids were little, Dan and I would sit like each on one end of the pew. And this was like, this was kind of our, our, our tactical approach to the combat of going into mass with all these little kids. And like I said, it generally was like one child, not the infant who's like in the car seat or in your arms, not the, you know, the five-year-old, not the six-year-old, not the eight-year-old. It was like the one to three-year-old that was mobile and didn't understand and whatever. And that was the only kid that we would allow to be moving about the pew during mass. But we were kind of like the bookends. Like, you're not going by mama, you're not going by papa, you're going to be right in between here among your siblings and, you know, with a reasonable, good, quiet behavior. But we would let them have that much leeway to move in the pew. So, you know, kind of being practical about that, being realistic about what their limitations are and what your expectations are. Of course, keeping in mind not wanting to be a major disruption to the people around you. But it's a lot. Like, recognize that this is a lot. And that this is a particularly, you know, for you, Elizabeth, the the original person asking this question and bringing up this topic, like you've got a lot of little kids, you've got a lot going on there in the pew during mass, like be reasonable and realistic about what your expectations are for them. And, you know, pray to their guardian angels, pray some Hail Marys on your way in, pray for the grace that you need. And, and know sometimes you're going to just get the grace that you need for bringing a screaming child to the back of the church and out the door, you know, like it just, that's what happens sometimes. But, you know, like we, like we talked about in a couple of podcasts ago, that power of showing up, just showing up, being faithful, knowing that you as a family belong at mass, you need the graces that are there. You've come to worship God together in the way that the church requires, like that's, that's a very good thing. And you belong there and God is going to reward your faithfulness in that. But just knowing that it's not all going to go perfect and it's not always going to be easy. I mean, I think it's so key to kind of shifting your mindset about it rather than going in, you know, hoping for or expecting or, you know, bemoaning the fact that you're not getting perfect behavior, knowing that some of it's going to fall short, but having those reasonable expectations at the same time. I hope some of that's helpful, Elizabeth and other people who are going through the trials of bringing little kids to mass. Um, I can tell you I'm on the other side of it now and you do survive it. And now I just look around at the families with little kids and kids who are unruly and I, I love it. I love that they're there. I think it's a great sign of hope. Um, a great sign of hope for the future of the church. They belong there and it's a good thing. Okay, we've got more of the show coming up in just a moment, but first a quick break. I'm Danielle Bean and you're listening to the Girlfriends Podcast. Hi, I'm Father Mark Toops. Do you ever feel like you're asking God for too much in your spiritual life? The truth is you're probably asking for too little. And if you'd like some help this Lent, opening up your heart to God to allow him to bless you with all that he has for you, you should pick up the new Ascension Lenten Companion Year A. This coming Lent, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. 
If you'd like some help to go deeper, you'll need to ask for more. And this is what this year's journal is designed to help you with. Each day, you'll get a word to focus on, a reflection to help you pray, some scripture to meditate on, and a prompt to help you quiet down and listen to what God wants to say to you. And each week, we feature a piece of original artwork as well as an original online video to help you in your prayer. I wanna encourage you to be bold this Lent, to ask God for more. Go to ascensionpress.com and order your copy of the Ascension Lenten Companion today. God bless you. Welcome back. Now we're at the point in the show where I share some listener feedback or a question. And this week I heard from listener Haley. Haley writes, hi, my name is Haley. I'm from a small town in Texas. I've been listening to your podcast for probably about a year now and I love it. It always seems to give me inspiration and motivation when I need it the most. I'm a mother of three children and we have baby number four due in February. I'm a former registered nurse, but decided to stay home after our third was born in 2021. The reason I'm reaching out to you is because I'm currently going through a training program with Marquette University to become a Marquette Method Natural Family Planning Teacher. I'm close to being finished with the program, but I still have to recruit couples to teach the method to and follow along with them for a short while. I heard on your listener feedback part of your shows that people bring up natural family planning pretty often. Anyway, I was going to let you know that if you have anyone reach out to you who's interested in natural family planning and would like to learn for free right now that I am looking for clients, I need more couples in order to finish the course. The Marquette method is amazing because it allows you to use a monitor to track your urinary hormones to find out when a woman is ovulating. There's not much guesswork to it. Feel free to share my email Thank you for your time. I look forward to listening to future Girlfriends episodes. Well, I'm not going to like list Haley's email out, but I'm going to tell you, you can email me, danielle at daniellebean.com, and I will connect you with Haley. This is from a few weeks back, so I don't know if she's still in need of clients, but I thought this is a great opportunity. And if she doesn't need clients, she may know of somebody else who's still looking for clients. So if you're interested in learning the Marquette method, this is a great way for you to do that. And um, I will just just give a shout out for the Marquette method because I found, and we've done it all when it comes to natural family planning. If you're interested in those shows, I think I've done a couple of different shows on natural family planning. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it all. <laughs> and I've not, I, we struggled, we struggled with many different methods. Um, but I found that having a fertility monitor was really helpful. Once we finally switched over to that method, it was just a great kind of black and white kind of measure that, and I felt like I needed that. I couldn't be interpreting things. I, I couldn't be trusted <laughs> to interpret things. So anyone who's interested in, um, you know, natural family planning, learning it, possibly learning it using a fertility monitor, definitely do recommend the Marquette method. And if you're interested in connecting with Haley, let me know. You can email me danielle at daniellebean.com and I will forward your information to Haley who can let you know. And maybe Haley's had her baby and she's not doing this right now, but um, I'm hoping that we still can make a, a good and positive connection with you in the Marquette method if you're interested in that. So again, send me an email or if you have a question or something you want me to bring up in this section of the podcast, email me danielle at daniellebean.com. Connect with me on Vox the link to connect with me on Voxer is always in the show notes, which are always published for every every episode of the Girlfriends podcast over at ascensionpress.com. Again, an easy way for you to stay connected with the podcast is to subscribe to the show notes. So you can text the word girlfriends to 33777. And that way you can automatically get signed up 
to subscribe to the show notes. A bonus for people who subscribe to the show notes is that you get my song of the week. (laughs) This is kind of a fun thing that I like to share. Each episode, I I share something that I'm listening to or some kind of music from all different genres. I like all different kinds of music or something the kids have introduced me to. And um, that's only available through the show notes. So definitely text the word girlfriends to 33777 and get yourself subscribed right now. That only works for people inside the US. If you're outside the US, you still can subscribe, but you need to go over to ascensionpress.com in order to do so. All right, that's all the time we have for today, but I hope I've given you some encouragement if you are struggling with kids at mass. I hope you'll also reach out and give me your own ideas, what works for you, and I can share them on future episodes because like I said at the start, this is not a problem that's going away. This is something that people definitely struggle with. Families of all different walks of life, all different shapes and sizes definitely struggle with this. Nobody has got it all perfectly figured out. But no, you're not alone in it. But also, I hope that we can offer you some encouragement as well. Thank you so much for being a part of today's show. I hope that you will connect with me over in the Girlfriends community at girlfriendscommunity.com so we can go further with some of the topics we talk about here in the podcast and so that I can get to know you. That's really part of the joy that I've experienced since creating the Girlfriends community is getting to know some listeners of the podcast in a more personal way. It's really been a great gift to me. It's also a gift to me that you've been here today. Thank you so much for being part of today's episode. I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Until next time, take care and God bless. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 